welcome to the FX Church Podcast. We're glad you've chosen to join us. We've been doing this podcast um, for a lot of years, but specifically through the COVID-19 um, situation. We've been doing the podcast in the shorter devotional on Sundays. We are in week nine of our summer series in the book of Joshua, and the title of the series is Inheritance. Um, God is giving the inheritance that he promised to Abraham, and just like Abraham and all of his descendants had been waiting for this moment in Joshua for the inheritance to come, we as Jesus' followers wait for him to come and give us the inheritance of heaven. It's an inheritance that we already have. It's already been promised. It's already been decided by God, but we wait. And you know, they had been waiting for 600 years for the promised inheritance to Abraham. They'd, been, they'd lived in slavery for 400 years. They'd been wandering in a desert because of their sin. And the entire time they're clinging to this promised inheritance that all of them never saw in their lifetime. And they're being told to be strong and courageous. You know, would we still believe and lead others to believe that that Yahweh saves, which is what Joshua and Jesus' name, they're the same, mean, and his promised inheritance. In Joshua 1.6, it says, Be strong and courageous, <clears throat> for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. This is what God the Father is telling Joshua. <clears throat> He's saying, you need to be strong and courageous because you're going to be the one to distribute the land that I swore and promised. You know, and And that's an incredible promise that God is now bringing about. This week, the title of the message is, What the Lord Promised. What the Lord Promised. You see, many of us have a way of focusing on what we want to hear, what we want God to promise, and we kind of have selective hearing when it comes to the promises of God. We like all the positive promises, the promises that benefit us. We'll even twist promises to to fit what we want, but we don't want to hear the promises that are also um, curses, that that are going to bring suffering, that are going to bring problems in our lives, like the promise of death because of sin. See, see we love what the Lord promises, and we love to tell people about that when it's all positive and good in this earthly life. We don't like to tell the full promises of God. And Joshua is giving the full promises of God. He has the people commit to the full promises of God in the book. You know, they had been fighting for five years, and now Joshua is dividing the allotments of the tribes of Israel. We looked at that last week, the allotments of the tracts of land that each of the tribes were promised by Moses that they would receive. One of the things I didn't cover last week was the story of Caleb, because in this section in the book that's quite a few chapters that just tells where people are going to locate and what their boundaries are for the 12 sons of Jacob, that's how the boundaries are decided. Um, Jacob, of course, the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. And as Joshua is now dividing the land among the tens of thousands of each people in each tribe, the story of Caleb is, is placed in this context. It's kind of out of context, it seems, but it's not really when you look at it. And we see the story in, in Joshua 14. 
And if you remember, Caleb was one of the ones that stood up with Joshua. We'll read the story in a minute. He and Joshua are the only two people of the 40 people that wandered in the wilderness that survived. The 40 men that wandered, that were wandering, or not the 40 men, the 40 years they wandered in the wilderness, they were the only two men who got to go into the promised land. Even Moses didn't get to go into the promised land because of his sin. So in Joshua 14, 6, it says this, the descendants of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord promised Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the Lord's servant, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout the land. And I brought back an honest report. My brothers who went with me caused the people's hearts to melt with fear, but I remained loyal to the Lord my God. See, Caleb was from the tribe of Judah, and God keeps his promises. And he promised because of Joshua and Caleb's response that we're going to read in the book of Numbers, he promised them a special promise. You know, we don't know what the Lord promises anymore. As a matter of fact, most of Christianity today just looks at what works. We don't actually look at the end of our book and the promises that God gives for a new earth and a new heaven and new bodies. And, and you know, when we don't do that, it's easy for us to melt in fear at the circumstances around us. We find ourselves in some crazy circumstances in our culture, but there have been crazy circumstances before. But see, if we understand the promises of God, and if we've remained loyal to God and we trust Him, then we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to melt in fear. And Caleb says, I remained loyal to the Lord my God. You know, my son and I were driving back from a wedding last week. Well, actually, it was the next day, Sunday. We were at the wedding on Saturday. As we were driving home from church, I asked Clint about the wedding. We had a quick conversation about what did you what did you find interesting about this wedding? And it was a Christian wedding. It was a wedding focused on Christ. And and Clint said one of the things that he found the most impactful or noticed was when each of the groomsmen, because <clears throat> all of them gave a speech, not just the best man, each of the groomsmen said the same thing about the groom. The groom of a member of our church, Dustin Snyder. And they all said this. They said, He is loyal. He is just a man of his word. He's a man of integrity. And and that just hit me as I, as I look at this story in Joshua and each of them at the wedding said, we know he'll be faithful to Laura because he's been faithful to us. And man, is that not the story of God that God says, those who have been faithful to me, you can trust them to be faithful to you. And that's Caleb and Joshua. And that's specifically Caleb here. Now let's look at the full story. Here's the story in Numbers 13. Turn to Numbers chapter 13. And in verse 25, <clears throat> um, right before this, Moses sends out 12 spies of the 12 tribes of Israel to spy out the promised land. They cross the Jordan, they go in, and they're to bring a report back. This is right after they're out of slavery uh, in Egypt. This is right before the curse happens that makes them wander, which is what happens here for the next 40 years. Instead of it just being a quick journey and they're into the promised land and they're fulfilling the promise. 
In verse 26, it says, The men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back a report for them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. So these spies have come back, and they're saying, yes, the land is exactly how God said it was. It's exactly what he said and what he promised. In verse 27 of Numbers 13, it says, They reported to Moses, We went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, and here is some of its fruit. So so they are excited. They're like, look at all this. This this is the fruit. Look at what we brought back there. And then it says, verse 28, However, the people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. You see, the descendants of Anak were said to be these giants. We'll look at that more in a moment. And so Moses sends these spies to scout it out and to see the inheritance. And they see it, but their focus quickly goes from what's true and the benefits to immediately saying, wow, this is, could be costly to our lives. We'd rather keep what we have than to push forward for the inheritance that God says is ours, that's been promised. And this is where we find ourselves today. We, we, we have a wrong response to the obvious confrontations that are coming. And instead of going to battle for God to, to bring His promised inheritance of salvation to the world. We're not trying to take a land anymore. God fulfilled his promise at this time to Israel. He's going to fulfill it again when you read the book of Revelation about how he's going to continue to be faithful to those who who are his and to the Israelites who are his. But in this moment, God is fulfilling his promise and all they can see are the problems. All they can see is, wow, this is going to be tough. You see, they weren't expecting it to be easy. They were expecting just to walk in and, and get what they, you know, were promised. Like, give me my inheritance. In verse 13, 30, it says, Then Caleb quieted the people. So here's Caleb again. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, We must go up and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. Caleb says, look, I know that this is the land God's promised. He wouldn't have promised it to us if he wouldn't have told us, if, he, if he, we couldn't take it. He's given us the ability. He's given us life. We've been delivered from slavery. We have the freedom. We, have, we can do this. Caleb is saying, look, God wants us to participate in doing what he wants us to do so that we can experience the blessing of following him and the blessing of a promise being fulfilled. You know, that's what we're supposed to do in life is that we're called to work with God, to be alongside Him. He has the plan worked out. We just have to say, okay, I trust you. I'll follow. I'll take the next step and the next step. And when we fail, we repent. In Numbers 13, verse 31, it says, but the men who had gone up with him responded, we can't go up against the people. So they're responding to Caleb because they're stronger than we are. Well, yes, they're stronger than you are, but they're not stronger than your God. And this is where we find Christians today. Christians are so afraid today. We're afraid that we're going to lose what we don't even have. 
These people at this time are wanderers in the wilderness. They've been delivered from slavery and they don't have their inheritance yet. That's where Christians find ourselves today. We've been delivered from the slavery of sin. We are wanderers. We're even like in captivity. We're, We're held captive by the world around us, but we're trusting that God has an inheritance. And he says, oh, they're stronger than us. Well, maybe they are, but they're not stronger than our God. Verse 32 of Numbers 13 says, So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people saw, saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers, and we must have seemed the same to them. Again, these Nephilim are, are these giants, these these powerful people, these Anak that descended from them. And they're saying, look, we they're basically making up stories. Yes, there are large people there, but they act like the entire land is full of them. And when we get to Joshua, we find out the land isn't full of them. And Caleb's getting ready to prove something in Joshua that's going to be pretty amazing. You see, Caleb for now has been waiting. And, and, and in Numbers 13, he says, look, I was a slave. I've been set free. I want to take the promised land. I've seen it. I think we can, we can do this. And all the people around him are, no, we can't. It's too costly. I'm not willing to lose my wife, my kids, my little bit I have. She didn't have anything. And now we go on and it says this, and this is where the curse begins to happen. He says, then the whole community broke into loud cries and the people wept that night. All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron and the whole community told them if we had only died in the land of Egypt, if only we had died in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and little children would become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell down with their faces to the ground in front of the whole assembly of the Israelite community. You see, this is the response when you've lost confidence in God and his plan. You start running, you start complaining, you start seeing all the bad, and then you start looking for relationships that will give you what you want. You don't look for relationships that will tell you the promises of God, both good and bad, that'll give you the full picture. No, no. You look for for information and relationships that will back up what you already believe. And you'll try to get anyone out of the way that challenges you. Moses and Aaron at this time, they fall down before God because they recognize what's happened before. This isn't the first time the people have rebelled. And they understand that when the people do this, they're, they're, this is a scary moment for the people of God. And look at them. They're saying they would rather go back to slavery than to, to live free. That they would rather go back to Egypt and, and like they, they want to die and nothing's happened. Like that's what we find people today. They're running around scared to death of dying, scared to death of the world we live in. And, and it, nothing really terribly awful bad has happened. Are there pockets of bad? Are there? Yeah. But it's like, there's a panic goes on. This is what the new Testament says 
about this kind of mentality and what happens to people when they go through this process that Paul is writing in the New Testament to this young disciple, Timothy, and he's saying, hey, I'm passing away. My, my time is coming to an end. And as I pass on the torch to you, you need to recognize that just like what happened with Moses and the leaders of the Old Testament and the prophets, it, it's going to happen to you. And it keeps happening over and over again. And we need to check our hearts as believers or followers of Christ. And if we're not followers of Christ, we need to ask ourselves what kind of people we really are. In 2 Timothy 4, it says in verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus. Remember, Jesus' name means Yahweh saves, Yeshua. So he's saying before Yahweh and the Messiah who is Yahweh saves, who is going to judge the living and the dead. That's a promise. He is going to judge. And because of his appearing in his kingdom, both promises, he appeared and his kingdom is coming and he's going to appear again and bring his kingdom. Proclaim the message. What message? It's the message of Jesus, that he was the son of God who, who came and gave his life as the ultimate sacrifice that no longer do lamb's blood and the sacrifices of the bull in the Old Testament cover us, but, but Jesus brought his grace. He died for the penalty we deserved and that he's coming again. He came back to life to prove that he was God and we can know we're going to have life again. That's the message. And he says, that's the message that's been going on from the beginning of time, that we are a promised, cursed people and we are a promised, blessed people because of God's love, patience, and faithfulness. He says, persist in the message, whether it's convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. See, that's what we need to hear today. We're all scared to death of speaking the truths of Scripture. God says, no, proclaim the message that this world doesn't have hope. And if we think we're going to pass laws and do things to bring hope to the world, it's a joke. Are laws good? Yes. Do laws give us an extended period of time to communicate longer the message so we don't destroy ourselves? Yes, but it doesn't fix anything. It just shows us how dead we are and how wicked we are. He goes on in verse 3 of 2 Timothy 4. It says, for the time will come. He doesn't say it might come. This is a promise that Paul tells Timothy. The time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. That means sound teaching. The the truths of scriptures, the truths of who God is. They won't tolerate that anymore. They can't stand it. We see this happening all over our culture. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. It matters what I feel. That I have a word from God that doesn't match God's word. And he says, but according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. In other words, they can't stand to focus on the promises of God, the 600 years of waiting. You know, I'm, I'm done with this. They can't stand. Here they are in the promised land in numbers, getting ready to go through. Caleb is saying, don't do this. He's saying, we can do this. And, and they lose all focus. And now they're looking to multiply a couple of leaders to give them something new to hear because what they've heard from Moses is that they're going to have this promised land. And now they've seen the promised land. And now they're like, I'm done with the old message all the way back to Abraham of the promises. I want what I want. I want to go back to Egypt where we're not supposed to be. In verse 4, it says, They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. 
In other words, they're not going to believe the promises of God. The Bible's not going to be enough anymore. They're going to cling to other stories because a myth is a story. And we see this today that a person's story trumps Scripture. It's if I feel it, if I experienced it, then you can't argue with me no matter what the Word of God says. That's the world we live in today. Just like it was the world Moses and Aaron lived in with God's people. Just like it was the world Paul and Timothy had to to proclaim the true message about God and the promises of what God promised, what the Lord promised. He goes on in verse 5 of 2 Timothy 4, But as for you, be serious about everything. Endure hardship. See that? Endure hardship. You're gonna, it's hard walking with God in a broken, sinful world, just like it's going to be hard to go into the promised land, but it's worth it. He says, do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist is someone who tells the story. They, they evangel. They, they speak out what's so true of the truths of God and who God is. And then it says, fulfill your ministry. We all have ministry to do that God wants us to fulfill, just like Caleb's like, we can fulfill the ministry God asks us to do to go to the promised land. And the people are like, no, 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 we, we can't. It's just too hard. Verse 6 says, Paul says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. He knows he's dying. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. You see, the people of God in Numbers and they forgot that God was appearing to them. He was in a fire at night, a pillar of fire at night, and a cloud during the day leading them. They didn't love his appearing anymore. They wanted to go back to the slavery. They wanted to go back to the mess. They wanted to go back to, as Scripture says, a dog returning to its vomit because they forgot his appearing. And here's the deal. They stopped looking forward to his coming appearing. And that's what Paul is saying. I know he's coming. I know I've lived my life. I have fought the fight like Caleb is going to fight the fight. I'm in. Numbers 14, it says, Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who was among those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes. That's a sign of repentance. It's a sign of, oh, Lord, don't kill us. We're naked before you. We're exposed. In verse 7, it says, I said to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. God is good. His promises are good. Heaven that we're going to go to as believers today is good. And the new heaven and the new earth he's going to bring is going to be an extremely good land. Verse 8, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey and give it to us. Not just give it as in, here it is and you do nothing, but a process of giving it over time. Only don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land for we will devour them. Their protection's been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. While the whole community threatened to stone them, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tent of meeting. It's like, uh uh-oh, when the glory of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites, they're getting ready to be killed. When his glory shows up, all men fall as dead men in Scripture, all the way across. No one ever stands in the glory and presence of the Lord unless God says stand and gives them the ability to do that, which Christ Jesus does for us. 
He says, don't be afraid of them. Can I just tell you, this is the world we live in today. We live in a world where everyone's threatening to cancel and stone everybody. Where it's, it, it's a cancel call. I'll stone you for that. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to attack you. And we need to be about the glory of the Lord. We need to be like Joshua and Caleb and tear our clothes and cry out to him and say, God, I know the land you have is good. And I'm going to tell everyone that'll listen, it's good. And I'm going to show them my sin. I'm going to expose them to who you are and and my trust in you. And and I, I just want them to know that what the Lord has promised is true. That's exactly what we see here. What happens after this is the other 10 spies are actually struck dead when God's glory appears. But look at, jump down to Numbers 14, 19. It says, please pardon the wrongdoing of this people in keeping with the greatness of your faithful love, just as you have forgiven them from Egypt until now. The Lord responded, I have pardoned them as you've requested. This is Moses. Moses interceding and praying and saying, please pardon. Now some of them died. But please pardon these people. And he says, okay, I'll do it. I won't kill them. I'll let them live. Verse 21, yet as surely as I live and the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory, none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tested me these 10 times. In other words, this is the 10th time they've tested God and did not obey me will ever see the land I swore to give their fathers. None of those who have despised me will see it. But since my servant Caleb has a different spirit and has followed me completely, I'll bring him into the land where he has gone and his descendants will inherit it. See, that's where we're at in the Joshua story is the fulfillment of this promise that God gave through Moses to Caleb because of Caleb and Joshua's faithfulness. And no, these people didn't get to see the actual physical promised land. But it doesn't say that God held their sin against them. He pardoned them. Can I just tell you, a pardon doesn't mean we get the promise now. Just because God forgives you, just because he pardons your sin, doesn't mean there aren't consequences that we have to live with to get the next generation ready for what God has for them. And that's what they were called to do and had to do in the wilderness. And that's what we may be called to do. Jesus may not come back in our lifetime. We need to be ready and we need to get the next generation ready because he is going to bring his ultimate promised land. And just like these people died in the wilderness without seeing the promised land of Abraham, someday they are going to arise in Christ, those who believed and see the promised land that God has for those who repented and believed in his name. You see, the Bible is full of promises And the full promises of God carry all the weight of God's glory. And we have to ask, what will be our response to what the Lord has promised, His promises? Look at Joshua 14.10. Caleb says, As you see me, Joshua, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years as He promised. Because remember He said, Caleb's going to get to go into land. Caleb is now 85 years old old. 85. He was 40 and now he's 45. He's 85 years old. It says, since the Lord spoke 
this word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. Here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. My strength for battle, for my daily tasks is now as it was then. Holy smokes. You got to remember that just a couple of chapters earlier, God tells Joshua, you need to distribute the inheritance because you're basically old and you're, 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 you're dying. Like your time's up. And Caleb's like, my time's not up. And isn't it interesting that we like to judge and be like, well, why can't I be like Joshua? And why can't I be like Caleb? Instead of saying, no, I want to be like God wants me to be. I want to know him so intimately that I follow him how he wants me to follow him. Joshua doesn't look at Caleb jealously. He says, yeah, man, Caleb, you are that way. I wish I had your vitality. I just don't. You know, I think of my dad and Susan's dad. You know, my dad has had ill health. He's still the, one of the oldest living males ever in his family at 80 years old. All kinds of health problems. He just survived a major health crisis by a miracle. He has a great spirit about him. He's got his wits about him. He, he still loves the Lord. He laughs. He jokes about wanting to see God someday and waiting for the promises. But his body is completely gone. It's just shutting down. Versus Susan's dad, who two weeks ago climbed a 30-foot pine tree and cut the entire thing down piece by piece, limb by limb, on his own. He didn't drop the tree because of the power lines around. No, he climbed up a ladder, tied it, and tied himself off. And at 80, I think he's 81. Like, I respect both of them. And they, and it's just amazing to me that, that that this is what God has for Caleb. And this isn't normal. Most 85-year-olds aren't at this strong. They're not, they can't still do the things they could do at 40. But God has supernaturally done this for Caleb. And look at why he has. It says, now give me this hill country the Lord promised me on that day, because you have heard then that the Anakim, Anakim are there, as well as large fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and will drive them out as the Lord's promise. You see, he doesn't ask for easy for being faithful. He doesn't say, hey, I've been 45 years faithful. I was faithful back then. I was one of the few. I should get the nice pasture land. It's time for me to retire. It's time for me to take it easy. It's time for everything to go my way. Caleb's like, no, 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 no. I want the giants. I want the giants. That's God promised that land and he's given me my strength as a warrior so that I can do what I wanted to do 45 years ago and show them the glory of my God. They have been spitting on God's glory for the last 45 years, and it's time for them to see who he is, and it's time for me to fulfill the promise, and God has kept his promise to me, so I'm going to keep my promise to him. I want the giants. What the Lord has promised is true and I'm going to battle. And it's interesting because if you remember in a few more chapters in Joshua 17, the Ephraimites, they don't, they want an easy piece of land. And Joshua tells them, go to the forest and clear it. And the peasant and the Perizzites and the Rephim, because Ephraim's hill country is too small for you. And then they said, well, it's not enough. And they're iron chariots and it's scary there. And Joshua replied and said, well, you have many people in great strength. You can drive out the Canaanites, even though they have iron chariots and are strong. 
Ephraim wants it easy, and Joshua's like, nope, you're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to participate with God. You're going to have to, the Bible calls that sanctification, becoming more like God, trusting him as we walk through life. And Caleb's like, I'm ready to be sanctified. I'm ready to go after this. He's not like Ephraim. He's like, I, I know God promised me the giants, and I've been waiting for the day when I can take this on. Man, what a heart. It's a different kind of spirit. Remember what I said in Numbers? Caleb had a different kind of spirit. And man, does he prove it here. Then Joshua, Joshua 14, 13. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron belongs to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and the Kenizzites as the inheritance to this day, because he remained loyal to the Lord, the God of Israel. Hebron's name used to be Kirith Arba. Why? Because Arba was the greatest men among the Anakin. In other words, it was named for this giant warrior. After this, the land had rest from war. So the land, the name of the city got changed to Hebron. It got changed because of Caleb. And, and it says, after this, the land had rest from war. The, the Caleb went in because he wanted to bring blessing. He didn't want to bring war. He didn't want to kill people. He he knew that to get to God's blessing and rest, there was going to have to be a battle. It's the same for us as Christians. We know that to get to the blessing and rest, we've got to battle through this life to get to what God has promised. And yes, we have the full promises. We don't have to doubt his promises, but because we have the full promises like Caleb did, we want to use those to display God's glory. And Jesus said we'd have rest when we meet him, but not until after fighting for the promise of salvation for others. And God fulfilled this promise through Joshua. The story of Caleb goes on in Judges. The book of Judges starts out with Caleb. It says in Judges 1.1, After the death of Joshua, the Israelites inquired of the Lord, who will be the first to fight for us among the Canaanites? Caleb is really old at this time. And the Lord answered, Judah is to go. Remember, Caleb is from the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is from the lion of the tribe of Judah. He says, I've handed the land over to him. Jump to verse 12 of Judges 1. It says, Caleb said, Whoever strikes down and captures Kirith Sefer, I will give my daughter Asha to him as a wife. So Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's youngest brother, captured it. And Caleb gave his daughter Asha to him as a wife. And, she, and when she arrived, she persuaded Othniel to ask her father for a field. As she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, What do you want? She answered him, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the Negev, given me springs of water also. So Caleb gave her both the upper and lower springs. Man, what a picture. This, this warrior guy who wants to kill giants is so soft with his daughter. So loving. His daughter submits to her father, submits to Othniel. She she helps Othniel and Caleb have a relationship and to interact with each other. This is such a beautiful picture of family just in a few verses. That Othniel has a desire to fight for God's glory. And when Caleb, Caleb's looking for that for his daughter, listen, if more of us who are parents would look for young men and women who fight for God's glory and then give our yes 
to those types of people, we'd have different marriages, different churches, and different families in our cultures. If we trust the promises of God, instead of being fearful and thinking, well, I just, I hope my daughter marries a Christian. And so he says he's a Christian or she says she's a Christian. So I'll just let him do it. Versus really saying, no, who, who's going to go to battle? Who's going to fight? Who's going to protect my daughter and, and, and honor God's glory? That's the person I want. That's the person I know is going to be loyal and care for her. And isn't it interesting that as she's getting off, Caleb asks her, what do you want? See, God does that with us. That even though he puts us in circumstances and in relationships that are outside of our control, he'll often come and say, hey, what do you want? I know this is hard. I know this is a hard situation. I know this isn't exactly what you'd hope for maybe or what you want, but I still love you. How can I, can I help you? And she says, I just, I just want to be blessed by you, Dad. And you know what? The springs would be nice. You got it. Man, what a, what a picture of a, of a tender warrior. There's a book a number of years ago written by a guy called Tender Warrior. Uh, if you ever want to pick it up and read it, good book. Judges 1.20 goes on to say, Judah gave Hebron to Caleb, just as Moses had promised. Then Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak who lived there. At that time, the Benjaminites did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. The Jebusites have lived among the Benjamites in Jerusalem to this day. So you have Caleb driving out the giants and the Benjamites who can't get rid of the Jebusites. They're not willing to go after the sin that's going to corrupt them because the Jebusites corrupt the Benjaminites. You see, we have to be willing to go after the sin. We have to be willing to go after the big things in our lives and in our own hearts. Before we attack the world, we have to take account and do business in us. Listen, Caleb did business in his own heart with God. He was patient for 45 years for the promise. That is a long time of being faithful when you're not getting what you deserve. When he was one of the two that that said they should take it, and he had to be punished with the rest of them. You talk about loyalty. You talk about believing what the Lord promised. And the Benjamites, they didn't believe what the Lord promised. They compromised. They, They got to a certain point and got comfortable instead of continuing to pursue God and to push through and to remove the sin and the idolatry and the mess in their lives. Judges 3 goes on to say, The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord, their God, and worshiped Baals and the Asherahs. Those are the false gods um, that are common in the Old Testament. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he said to them, Cushan Rishatham, king of Aram Naharim, and the Israelites served him eight years. The Israelites cried out to the Lord, so the Lord raised up Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's youngest brother, as a deliverer to save the Israelites. The Spirit of the Lord came on him, and he judged Israel. Othniel went out to battle, and the Lord handed over Cushan Rishatham, king of Aram, to him, so that Othniel overpowered him. Then the land was peaceful forty years, and Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. The people of God were unfaithful, and God sent a deliverer. He sent a judge to help them. And Othniel was faithful. He followed in Caleb's footsteps. He had watched what believing in God's promises meant and what it cost you. And he was willing to pay the cost and it brought peace, not only to his own family and his own life, but to the entire land. Listen, if we want peace, we've got to believe 
and the promises that Jesus gave, the new heaven and the new earth that's coming, the promise that we are loved, the promise that we have a hope and a future. They were in eight years of servitude, and because of Othniel stepping up, there was 40 years of peace. Listen, there are people out there who have lived in a mess, in a disaster, and they need to hear the message of peace, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that is given by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit when we accept him. They need that message so maybe that the rest of their life they can have the peace of God. That's exactly what Caleb and his family represent. In Joshua 15, 13, it says, He gave Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the following portion among the descendants of Judah, based on the Lord's destruction or instruction to Joshua. Kirith Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. In other words, he was one of the giants. Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Seshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, descendants of Anak. In other words, he drove out giants. From there, he marched against the inhabitants of Deber, whose name used to be Kirith Sefer. In other words, Caleb's like, I am taking what God has promised. I've been waiting 45 years. I just want God to move and I want to celebrate and go after it. Listen, we have been waiting long enough as a church. It's time for us to go out and to make him known, to quit living in fear and believe that regardless of what happens, if you remember, Caleb said, well, hopefully God will be with me. Caleb didn't say, I know God will be with me and I know I'm going to do it. He said, I hope he is. I'm just going to do what I know is promised and whatever happens to me happens to me. I hope he's with me. See, that is such a humble attitude. And that was Caleb's attitude. It goes on in verse 16. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter, Asha, to a, as a wife to the, man, the one who strikes down and captures Kira Sefer. This is what we read in the book of Judges. So Othniel, son of Caleb's brother, Cana, is captured. And Caleb gave his daughter, Asha, to him as a wife. When she arrived, she persuaded Othniel to ask her father a field. She got off her donkey. Caleb asked her, what do you want? She replied, give me a blessing since you give me the land in the Negev. Give me the springs of water also. So he gave her the upper and lower springs. Again, it's the repeat of the story of what happened. This is the first and the judges of the repeat. But jump to verse 63 of Joshua 15. But the descendants of Judah could not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. The same Jebusites the Benjaminites wouldn't drive out. So the Jebusites live in Jerusalem among the descendants of Judah to this day. They couldn't or they wouldn't. You see, we are so easy to compromise. Does God still love us? Is he faithful? Did he take away the land because they didn't drive out the Jebusites? No, he still fulfills his promise. But man, think of the blessings they miss by not following God completely. And listen, what you don't drive back, drive out will come back to haunt you. You, you've got to let God get rid of all the sin and mess in your heart. You've got to do battle, and it is a battle, and you need other people around you to fight it. And when you do, God says, I have a blessing. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 14. He says, your heart must not be troubled. Remember, we're reading about troubled times. They were troubled in numbers. They were troubled in Joshua, when they thought about the giants, they, they were troubled in judges, mostly over and over again, there's this fear and this trouble. And Jesus says in John 14, when your heart must not be troubled, believe in God, believe in his promises, believe also in me. 
I am the promised Son of God. I am the ultimate promise. All the promises go back to Jesus. Yahweh saves. He fulfills all his promises. In verse 2 of John 14, it says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you, a promised land. I've got a place waiting for you. But you need to do your work now. You need to get ready for the place. Verse 3, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. And where he is, is where all the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are. And don't you long to be with someone like Jesus? The one who knows he will is Yahweh saves, he will always save. Verse 4 of John 14, you know the way to where I'm going. See, the Israelites knew the way. They knew how to get to the promised land, but then they got in, they're like, I don't know, this is confusing. They're giants, they're chariots. Ah. How can we know the way? Lord, Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? In other words, we don't know where you're going. We've been following you for three years. These disciples have been following Jesus for three years, three, three and a third years, and they're like, we don't know where you're going. You go wherever you want. Now, Jesus was following a pattern if you go back and do your study. He wasn't doing anything intentionally. He wasn't just wandering. He was, and he has a plan and a promise. And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Thomas. In other words, you keep looking for an earthly way, and that promise has been fulfilled already. Now the promise is to trust me, to look to me, to to follow the pillar of fire and the cloud I brought in the New Testament. In other words, the, the fire of the Holy Spirit that's been put in us and the covering of the cloud that protects us from the wrath of God because of Jesus' covering, that, that's been given to us so that we can know, man, I have the way, the truth, and the life I'm going to get to God. I can go through this life. I can wander in the wilderness. I can live in captivity. I can because I know the promises of God. You see, we think the way is a physical direction, and and that's partially true. We're headed to a new earth and and a new heaven, but it's not a physical direction. It's a spiritual direction. The way is the way of life. The children of God in the Old Testament kept refusing the way, the truth, and the life. And they kept going after earthly things, Caleb embraced the way, the truth, and the life. He waited 45 years believing God's promise. Just like we wait, and we may not make it to 85, we may die before we get there. But if we've been trusting in His promise, we know that God takes care of the giants, that we're going to be with Him. You see, Jesus said to pick up our cross and follow, to die to ourselves, to lay down our lives for a better life. And that's what Caleb And Joshua did. People want to get to God and the benefits of God, but they don't want to go through the life and the circumstances that God asks us to go through to get to the promise. You see, it's the already but not yet. We've already been given the promises, but not yet. And the reason we haven't not yet been fully given the promises is because God wants us to be sure that that tension leads us to tell other people that we're not there yet, that there is a way and truth and life coming, and you need Him. 
You see, Caleb wanted to go through because that was the promise. He knew he was being sustained for the promise and he was ready. And he wanted to honor and glorify God that he wanted to do the right thing 40 years ago and wasn't able. And now he's free to do it and lead others, lead his family to do it. When it was just him before, now he's leading all of his children, all of his family to do it with him. What a privilege. You know what the Lord promised doesn't get finally fulfilled until you go to 1 Samuel 17. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's there that David slays Goliath. You see, Goliath was one of the Anakim. He was one of the remaining giants. And he was coming out and he was cursing the people of God. And David shows up and says, why would you let this guy do this? And David like Caleb steps up, he takes his sling and he goes out to do battle against the giant and he slays the giant and Israel rushes into battle. And you think, oh, that's the great story, but it's not because Saul, the current king, was so jealous of David that he tried to kill him and David had to go on the run for his life. Thankfully, David had Jonathan, Saul's son, who was a friend to him and encouraged him and reminded David that you are the anointed king. And once Saul, once God removes Saul, you're in place. And David didn't try to take Saul's position like the Israelites did with Moses and Aaron. He waited. You see, God finally fulfills the promise of Caleb and removing the Anakin and Hebron, everything finally through David. God continues to fulfill his promises. And then through Solomon, God is built a temple. He's given a a place. You see, God is amazing when it comes to his promises. Jesus gives us some promises. Matthew 28, 17, it says, when they saw him, they worship him. This is after Jesus has died. He's been resurrected. He's appeared to them a number of times. It's right before his transfiguration where he's going to go up into heaven. And it says in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. You see, doubt is a normal thing. Even when you've seen Jesus raised from the dead and be crucified, you see the nails and the piercings in his side. You you see all that. You still, can this be real? Can these promises be true? Verse 18 says, Then Jesus came near and said to them, just like Caleb came near to his daughter, just like Moses and Aaron came near to God and fell down, he came near to them and said, Hey guys, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. Therefore, what are we doing? Staying. He says, go. Now, it doesn't mean we need to just throw the wind. No, we need to go where we're at first. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Disciples are disciplined people. They're people who follow. They they follow the disciplines of God, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Oh, and remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, there's an end of the age coming. There's an end coming where the promises of God will finally be fully fulfilled for all the scriptures. That end is sure. It's coming. We are in a promised age right now, an age of God telling the world about himself, reaching all ethnos, all ethnicities are being told about the gospel. And when that comes, Jesus said he will come back. He's being patient so that people can hear the promises of God. God and trust him. And Jesus says, look, I'm already with you, just not fully yet. But when the end of the age comes, I'll be fully 
with you. He gives us this command if we're followers. If we don't know Christ, then you have to ask your question, ask yourself the question, why don't you believe the promises of God? What what do you fight in you that doesn't allow you to to believe these things and to obey the simple message that Jesus gives that he has been promising for all of the scriptures. It's going to culminate one day in Revelation 21.5 says, and then the one seated on the throne, this is Jesus, look, I'm making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the Greek alphabet, the beginning and end. I am the beginning and the end. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. Who got water as a gift? Oh, yeah, it was Caleb's daughter. I will give spring of life. Verse 7, the victor will inherit these things. Caleb was the victor who got to inherit the opportunity. And he got to see Othniel. He got to see his lineage inherit what God's promises were. And I will be his God and he will be my son. The victor will inherit these things and I will be his God and he'll be my son. But the cowards, unbelievers, vile murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death. God fulfills his promises. I don't know if you're embracing those promises. I don't know if you've twisted those promises to be promises that aren't true. I don't know if you're grumbling right now about the promises of God and you're living in fear, but I can tell you that God does and his desire is that you would repent. You would turn to him. You would turn away from the direction you're going and turn to his promises and know that there is a promised land that he wants you to know him now. He is the way, the truth, and the life to follow him so that one day you can fully see how he is the way, the truth, and the life forever and ever and ever. Do you want to live a wise life fighting for the right promises or an unwise life fighting for promises that, that you've made up? Jesus says if we follow him, we'll know. We can know the way, the truth, and life. He's given us his word as a guide. He doesn't want us to die. He doesn't want us to eternally perish. He wants us to have eternal life and to believe his promises. But we have to make a decision now. Because once the time comes that God has given his judgment, it's too late to repent. And God, if you're still breathing, God hasn't given his judgment yet. It's not too late for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises that you give. Thank you that they're true from Genesis to Revelation. They don't change. Thank you for Caleb, the example of his life and your spirit, a spirit working differently in him that shows us that we can be like he is. And so we praise you that we have an allotment because of your promise. And that allotment means we're going to have to do battle, but it's worth it. It gives us meaning and life and purpose. And when we do battle for your glory, not in a way that wields a sword to kill people, but in a way that wields the sword of the word to humble people and bring them to submission and love and obedience to you. Would we go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples? And would we be people who are disciples? Lord, if anyone has not made the decision to follow you, I pray today would be that day. That they would surrender and say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not going to be like the people that we read about. I want to be like Caleb and Joshua and Moses that responded to God the right way. 
And if they ask you, Jesus, to come into your heart, to be their way, truth, and life, you will do it. And I pray they'd be part of a local church. They would get connected so they could be encouraged like the people of God were encouraged by one another to continue to fight. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen.